I love your perspective. Thank you so much for being out in the world and uh, holding the sensible, what do we call it? The sensible center left? <laughs> well, I don't know how well I do that. I do know that, I, that that is what I believe in the most. And I have learned this. I mean, I look for people. Charlie Crist is far from perfect. He's a flawed individual and a flawed politician. But he is an extraordinary person. And I think that when he was governor of Florida at the time when Barack Obama became president. President Barack Obama. President Barack Obama. Thank you. Thank you. And he accepted Barack Obama's federal stimulus, the only Republican governor to do so. And he accepted that hug from Barack Obama which ended his political career, essentially, because he was a rising star in the Republican Party. You know, it might have been him and not Trump nominated in 16 if he hadn't allowed Obama to hug him. You know, this is what got the right wing. I talk about visceral and sexuality. Charlie Chris hugs a, a black man who's a Democrat. I looked up that video when you told me that, by the way. It's not even a big hug. It's like a... It's oh, a, Charlie Chug is like a... You know, Charlie played football. He said, yeah, this is like you're running <laughs> off the field after a good pass. Hey, good pass. You know, he kind of pats me on. He said it was a very football player teammate kind of moment. It's so funny because that... Just so you know, I mean, this is the way that local state politics works. I had never heard of that moment. I, I'm sure it made national news, but it just... it. There's so much going on. That is like a seminal moment in Florida politics. This, I think, is a seminal moment in American history. And I think if people read Charlie Crist's book, this book, The Party's Over, How the Extreme Right Hijacked the GOP and I Became a Democrat, if there's any book that I would promote, it's this one. I think it's the best book about American politics that I've ever read. Uh, because Charlie Trump left the Republican, uh, Charlie Chris left the Charlie, Trump. Charlie Trump. I was thinking you know, how important Trump was to what I wanted to say. Yeah, say it, say it. Charlie Chris left the Republican Party because of Trumpism, and this was before Trump showed up. Wow. It was the it was the Tea Party. It was the Tea Party talking about Obama as if he were Satan, and that Charlie Chris reaction was, you know. When he, That's huge, Rob. That's huge what you just said. Charlie Chris left the Republican Party because of Trumpism, and this was before Trump showed up. Well, um, he saw it coming. His, uh, his assistant, when he was governor, when Charlie said, oh, I just got invited to uh, go to Fort Myers and accept the sem uh, federal uh, stimulus and meet with President Obama. And he said his assistant said, well, of course, you're not going to go to that, are you? And Charlie's reaction was, of course, I'm going to go. You know, the, the surprise of both these people. And it just right. shows me where the, where the future was. Right, right, uh, right. And Charlie said the, the reaction to Obama that really was fostered by the Tea Party and then Fox News uh, and then Marco Rubio, uh, who became their sweetheart, and he, he prevented Charlie from be, being elected to the Senate. Charlie knew that the opposition to Obama was not because Obama was a Democrat, and it really had nothing to do, it really didn't have as much to do with even what he wanted to do with health care. He said this was a, he could see this was a visceral racist reaction. This is about race, pure and simple. You do not call a member of an opposing party, you don't call any president Satanist. 
Who called him? You never called. You never say that a president was not born in the United States. Right. How could so many people believe that? Would they have believed that if if he were white? Would they even have said that if he had been white? So Charlie knew this. He said, this is racism. This is racism. And the Republican Party stands for racism. I don't. Charlie talked about how he he rooted out the last KKK-controlled motel industry, uh, or motel even. He closed them. They wouldn't, it was a complaint. He was attorney general. Uh, black family wasn't allowed to stay in a motel. And, uh, and they kind of got to the attorney general and Charlie Chris shut them down. He tells the story. He said, you can't make this up. The name of the hotel was the the Old Southern Inn. <laughs> 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 and he said, they were, and they were the last. <laughs> Good luck down there. We're rooting for you. We're pulling for you. I hope Charlie can stop us from uh, President DeSantis. The thing is that Charlie would be a great governor. And a lot of people don't think about that. All they think about is that he's not DeSantis, and that's enough for them. Again, this is a problem on the left. They say, I'm tired of voting for the lesser of the two evils. And I say, you know, some of these people are not evils. Okay? Charlie's not evil. Exactly. Exactly. Let's. Is anything God, but there's, so much, there's so much to talk about because that's also the, as a person who loves words, I'm so irritated by the meaning of words being lost. I mean, I'm irritated by no longer valuing education and experts and knowledge. And I'm irritated by the word evil has meaning. And you can't just call someone evil. (laughs) Well, we call people, DeSantis does that. We call people woke. Right. What does that even mean? But that that doesn't even have meaning. But that's the new word. Woke really refers to people who believe in social justice. Right, right. For any race. And you can't say social, you can't call them social justice because who would be against social social justice? The reason I wanted to talk to you is on that Florida tour, I cannot tell you how many people I spoke with. Mm -hmm. They came up with, engaged me in political discussion, told me about what was going on in their lives. And our discussion outside the Lunastar Cafe, Rob, it still has stuck with me. I've well, thought about it. It's echoed. I think about it in like local San Francisco politics when I see the extreme left go crazy on something and get angry and lose the coalition that we're trying to build and maybe lose some of the gains we've had about these safe streets in the last two years. I just, I've really thought about it a lot and I think you have a really valuable perspective and I want to hear more. Whoa, what was that? Probably another email. Okay. So I just want to share your perspective with the people who listen to this, because I think it's really valuable. Well, I'm very flattered by that, John. I was deeply moved by your performance and maybe even only more deeply moved by our personal interaction. And you're you're wanting to talk about this. Actually, it's interesting you're talking about the far left, because there was a fellow who I've known for a very long time, a uh, great guy uh, who was there at that event. Uh, you know, he's telling me that he had, he had supported uh, Nikki Freed, who was a more, uh, seemingly more progressive candidate, at least somebody who was attractive to those kinds of people. And and he was really speaking rather 
critically of Charlie Crist because he had been a Republican, which is with the greatest irony for some a progressive person to criticize somebody who left the Republican Party seems a little right there is a little kind of shooting yourself in the head, I think. Why? Why is that? Well, I do first of all, I want to say the good news is that I had a event for Charlie Crist Friday night. And this fellow came, he performed, he had written a song about Charlie Crist which was wonderful. He wrote it specifically for that event. And so uh, I think that uh, I think you have exactly the right idea that our engagement with people uh, in a humane way, and this is exactly what Charlie Chris does. You just engage with people from the heart. And I noticed this about him the very first time I saw him in a, a gubernatorial debate when he first ran as a Republican 16 years ago, that if you, you know, you really come from the heart. And you've got enough brains to know that the extremism that we have in this country is, uh, especially from the right, which has produced a reaction on the left. But it has it has put us in a mood in the in this country where we are not listening to different perspectives. We're all locked in the sense that we cannot compromise because the people we disagree with will not compromise. And uh, yes, there are there are extremes, but there are lots of people in the middle. Who can be persuaded? Did you vote for, or did you support Charlie when he ran that first time as a Republican? You know, the tremendous irony is that I knew he was the better of the two candidates, but I did not vote for him strictly for partisan reasons. Which who, was, who did for you partisan reasons? I saw the debate; he was wonderful, and his opponent was the only politi- politician I'd ever seen in my life who didn't want to talk. He'd ask a question, he'd answer in two or three seconds. And then Charlie would give this very compassionate response. And they'd come back to Jim Davis, who was one of the first people to endorse Charlie Chris, actually, but uh, who was the Democrat. And it looked like, I can't believe this is a politician who has nothing to say. What year is this? This was 2006. 2006. 2006. Charlie Chris sounds good on TV, but what are his plans? Just phony promises. Chris promised to cut property taxes, doesn't start till 2010. Helps wealthy homeowners, but hurts renters and small businesses. His insurance plan, another empty promise. Pay, hope, and wait. Sorry, Charlie, we've paid too much and waited too long. Jim Davis's plan? $1 billion property tax cut now. Lower insurance rates by 40% now. Jim Davis, Daryl Jones, for a change. The cost of owning a home keeps going up. Everyone is squeezed, but those on a fixed income hurt the most. Attorney General Charlie Crist understands. He's fighting to double the homestead exemption. Jim Davis opposes property tax cuts. That's the same Jim Davis who called the sales tax holiday goofy and property tax relief a gimmick. The choice, Jim Davis, another liberal Washington politician. Or Charlie Crist, protecting Florida taxpayers. The choice is crystal clear. You should know. Congressman Jim Davis has the second worst attendance in Congress. Jim Davis voted to deny some struggling workers the minimum wage. Jim Davis voted against capping rates credit card companies can charge us. Jim Davis voted against allowing seniors to order low-cost prescription drugs from Canada. Maybe we should be glad Jim Davis rarely shows up for work. You can trust Charlie Crist. To do what? The St. Petersburg Times says Crist has no plan for immediate tax relief. No tax relief for businesses and renters. On education, a strong defender of the current system. 
Insurance? The Palm Beach Post calls his plan Pay, Hope, and Wait. No tax relief for four years, nothing for renters or small businesses, no changes in education, no plan to lower insurance rates. Trust Charlie? You sure can to stay the course. I, Charlie Chris, I, Charlie can solve Chris, win. I, Charlie Chris, can solve this But I will support, I will protect, support and defend. protect, and defend. I will support, protect, and defend. The Constitution and government of the United States and the state of Florida. That I am duly qualified to hold office under the Constitution of the state of Florida. And that I will well and faithfully perform the duties of the office of governor on which I am now about to end So help me God. So help me God. It's great to be here in Governor Schwarzenegger's home state. You're blessed to have Arnold Schwarzenegger's leadership in California, and the rest of our nation is blessed to have such a great example of such a great leader. We thank the governor, we thank him for his leadership, and we thank him for his courage. He's a tremendous inspiration and a shining example of what it means to be a Republican in the 21st century, and I'm proud to call him my friend. This summer, your Governor Schwarzenegger came across the country, traveled to Miami, Florida, joined us in my home state to lend his voice and his leadership to our Florida Summit on Global Climate Change. And some were surprised to see Republicans taking the lead on this issue. There's been a lot of talk about this idea of new Republicanism. And I'm often asked, where Governor Schwarzenegger and I are trying to take our party? The answer to me is simple, and Governor Perry understands it. The answer is this. Republican governors like Governor Schwarzenegger and myself are taking the Republican Party back to its roots as he just described. Back to the core principles of fairness. Back to the core principles envisioned by Abraham Lincoln, America's first Republican United States President. Back to the basic idea that conservation and our precious resources are what conservatism was founded on by President Teddy Roosevelt. Back to the fiscal responsibility. You may applaud that. Back to the fiscal responsibility and respect for the people's money. The people's money, guided by California's own Ronald Reagan. I believe America's greatest president. Republicans have always been the party of big ideas, and we must not lose sight of the fact that ultimately those big ideas need to solve everyday problems for citizens throughout our country. When we're able to put people and problem solving over partisan politics, we become more successful. And as Governor Schwarzenegger indicated, then we win, and we need to win. I'm so proud to be a member of the Republican Party. I love the Republican Party. I love the Republican Party. I love the Republican Party. In the 2016 election, which I think destroyed this country, it's or in many ways, it destroyed me in many ways. Uh, this country was so bitter and so angry. And it's interesting how much I saw race as a figure. Let me say the 
right-wing extreme, the angry white people in this country were with Trump. The angry left-wing people in this country were with Bernie. And the only calm people in the country, and actually most of the non-white people, were with Hillary, whom I was not with at the start, but who I was with because I would have been with her enthusiastically if Bernie hadn't come in. It's also that constituency that supported Biden and got him the nomination. Well, yes, I think that Biden sewed up the nomination when there were a lot of Southern primaries. Remember, in the early stage of the primaries, Bernie was ahead. Yep. Then there were a lot of primaries in the South, and Biden swept through. And why did that happen? Because this Democratic Party in the South, the white people all left it. It's all blacks and minorities. And they were not going to vote for Bernie. They voted for Biden. There are too many people, and the right wing has made this worse. I do blame that for this. But there are too many people in this in this country now who really feel there is no reason to pursue a middle ground. Some people believe that it is impossible to find a middle ground and that we are really in a state of war, a civil war. And there are other people who just believe that even if we could find a middle ground, that that really is selling out. Right. And we really have to destroy the other side once and for all. And we are not going to destroy the other side once and for all. In America, the corporate structure, capitalism is not going away. We have to accommodate and make the best culture and society we can within the context of what is in place and cannot be, this cannot be destroyed without destroying, without a havoc that none of us could even begin to imagine. I'm hearing you when you say that 2016 destroyed this country and in many ways destroyed you personally. It certainly destroyed a lot of my naive beliefs about what we had. Let me give you a quote from my mom this morning. She says, Despite what might happen on election night, America as founded is over. And I will always believe that was definitely put into motion by Obama, who was the cause of the disastrous election of Trump. Well, this is interesting. I remember one of my colleagues telling me that she had voted for Trump, because, which shocked me, and I listened to her for a half hour, because she thought Obama had created a lot of racism. Now... The election Obama really did change this country forever. It's been a long time coming. Long time coming. But tonight, but tonight, because of what because we did on, what this we day, did on this day, in this election, in this election, at this defining moment, moment, change has come, change to, America. Has come to America. And we thought we changed it because we had a black president. Many of us believe that we had finally broken through a line. However, what we actually did was we stepped over a line that the white people in this country, whether or not they have power, there is just going to be a visceral, instinctual reaction by white people, especially from families who've been in this country many generations. Many and they, they are angry about these immigrants because you know they got here first. And these people are really going to react and feel threatened. And I think that perhaps Obama created a situation which could not be healed until America is no longer white majority. 
Wow. I, be- I believe that when America is no longer white majority, if our constitution is still in place, if we don't turn into ethnic fraction fractionism, which I uh, I don't think that we would. I just believe if we uh, we have enough immigration that we will not have a white majority and our constitution will really uh it, it'll start to make a lot more sense. So uh, the situation will I think but I of course don't see that happening anytime yeah, I mean, Rob, that's the right-wing Tucker narrative on what the left is. That's the long game of the left. You're basically saying that that is the long game. Well, I haven't heard Tucker, honestly. I, I don't pay attention to most stuff. I know that the left and all the little gatekeepers on Twitter become literally hysterical if you use the term replacement, if you suggest that the Democratic Party is trying to replace the current electorate, the voters now casting ballots, with new people, more obedient voters from the third world. Let's just say it, that's true. I mean, everyone wants to make a racial issue out of it. Ooh, the, you know, white replacement theory. No, no, no. That is not necessarily the program of the left. If it is, it is a very naive program. I'm just giving you my feeling, having seen, yes, Obama, without Trump, we don't have Obama. That's true. But in without... Obama, we don't have Trump. That's what I mean. Without Obama, we don't have Trump. Yeah, I mean, my mom says the, the result, result of, of his, his actions, actions, Obama's actions in the White House, and, and ideas about America, America led to a direct reaction of the extremist right wing that gave, gave the world Trump. Charlie Chris is one of the first people to recognize this. Okay, talk about it. Let's get into it. Charlie Crist. Well, I could talk previously about his how appealing he found Obama even before he supported Obama. You know, Charlie Chris was governor of Florida in 2008. He was John McCain's statewide campaign manager, and he had been a long-term personal friend of John McCain. We have a very important election here in Florida come Tuesday, just three days away. And the man who stands next to me really is a true American hero. He is a great United States senator. He was a great member of Congress. He's a great friend to Florida. I think the world of him. And we have a lot of great people that are running for president this year who would all do well. But we have to think about when it comes to Tuesday, who you're gonna vote for and who you're gonna support. And I have been thinking about it a lot. And I have to tell you that after thinking about it as much as I have, I don't think anybody would do better than the man who stands next to me, Senator John McCain. However, as Charlie Crist was very disturbed by the 2000 election in which the state of Florida became a laughingstock for the world. And Charlie, who loves this state dearly, he loves the geography and the people and uh, really believes in the potential of this state. And uh, maybe more than I do, frankly, but he took that ridicule so personally And he said that he was going to make it his mission in life to find out why Florida messed up like that. And he was going to prevent it from ever happening again. Ultimately, and he looked into more things when he was attorney general. And then he saw what the legislature was doing when he was governor or trying to do. And he finally came to the conclusion that this was all the result of the fact that Republicans don't want people to vote. It just came down to that. Republicans do not want people to vote. And Charlie Chris realized that. So one month before the election in 2008, when Barack Obama was elected and became our first black president, uh, Governor Republican Governor Charlie Chris issued an executive order 
that made possible a massive expansion of polling sites, polling hours, mail-in voting access with special laser-focused attention on neighborhoods where there were minority, elderly, working-class families. And that's who he really wanted to be sure had every possible opportunity to vote. So this Republican statewide chair of John uh, McCain's campaign really went out of his way, taking on his own party when they wouldn't act, issue executive order, which essentially made possible the defeat of his own candidate and the election of our first black president. Yeah, Obama won 51 to 48.2. Obama won Florida twice. And I'm disappointed that he's not coming to Florida to campaign with Charlie. This is interesting because uh, you, you just think, you zoom out on history. Here it is in 2022. We could be talking about a gubernatorial election that involves the Republican candidate for president in 2024. Well, Governor DeSantis didn't uh, necessarily seem like he was going to be this kind of person when he first became governor, but he has turned into a lightning rod for really what I would call a form of Christian nationalism, which I think is becoming quite popular in this country. Definitely. Uh, DeSantis, Trump, none of these people invented these things. What did they, what they did was they took the historical moment which Obama helped create and they just tapped into this fear and resentment. And the reason these Republicans are so successful is because they're able to reach a majority of the population as long as we're white majority. And he's able to get into their hearts and their fears and their anxieties, which of course we do have. Yeah, so they, it actually, if you look around the country, they do have programs, unfortunately, where they will take a student, look at their race, say, okay, you're white, you're an oppressor. If you're black, you're oppressed. And think about what that does to a six or seven year old kid. That's wrong. You're seeing that. You have people that are teaching, uh, and actually his running mate has said this in the past, that teaching the United States was built on stolen land. That is inappropriate for our schools. It's not true. Uh, and I'm happy that we're going to be able to have accurate history, and we're going to make sure that we honor those who have sacrificed so that we can be free. And um, he gives them a very easy enemy. You're white, you're an oppressor. If you're black, you're oppressed. An enemy that makes sense because they see these people around them. You're white, you're an oppressor. If you're black, you're oppressed. They see more Spanish-speaking people, Creole people. They see people who are not like us coming into this country. Teaching the United States was built on stolen land. That is inappropriate for our schools. It's not true. And then they get... Uh, they think the teachers are allowing too much discussion of transgender issues in the public schools. And so, of course, you can appeal to people's sexual fears so easily. Right. Uh, and this right. is just playing off the ultimate lowest common denominator. You're white. Get people white. where they feel things viscerally, biologically, in a bestial way. You're white. That is You're what white. the fascists learn. And that is what Trump and DeSantis can do so successfully. You're white. You're uh, white. I see Ron DeSantis' campaign literature 
and he's standing with a bunch of kids because he's reforming education. He's destroying academic freedom. He's destroying uh, the teaching of slavery, the teaching of science. And he sends out literature where he's standing there with his arms around a bunch of white kids. But every single one is white, 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 white. You're white, you're an oppressor. If you're black, you're oppressed. Every single one. And he uses the word woke. And uh, he uses that as the all-purpose insult for everything that is not preaching white supremacy. But I want uh, when you asked me about Governor DeSantis, because I said at the at the beginning, he did not necessarily give the impression that he was going to necessarily turn out to be this way. Right. Um, he won a very, very, very close election against the black candidate, uh, Andrew Gillum, who was under investigation by the FBI at the time and still is. Oh, wow. I believe I, I just want to say what made DeSantis, what brought DeSantis to national promi- prominence and when he decided to make his emergence was during the pandemic and when schools were closed and people had to wear masks. And what he did was he he ran a campaign and he made it his mission in life to destroy mask mandates, to destroy the discussion of science and the insulting of uh, Mr. Fauci everywhere he went. And so he got rid of, ma- of mandates. He sued school districts who, well, he issued an executive order that no public school district could order mask mandates. Today, we're also learning no kids will have to wear a mask in school, and that is in the entire state of Florida. Governor Ron DeSantis was in Cape Coral this morning where he delivered that very clear message. He says he plans to issue an executive order soon for the upcoming school year. Fox 4's Rob Manch in Cape Coral with the story. The room at the two meatballs in the kitchen restaurant was filled with applause as Governor Ron DeSantis made the announcement. I'll be signing an executive order uh, which directs the Florida Department of Education and Department of Health uh, to issue uh, emergency rules protecting the rights of parents uh, to make this decision about wearing masks for their ki- for their children. Many of these kids are already immune through prior infection. They're at virtually zero risk of significant illness. That's a statement Dr. Mobin did not agree with. We have had more kids in the hospital in the last couple of days than we have ever had throughout the pandemic. So that's telling us something. Kids are at risk. But that's a risk DeSantis says parents should make the call on, not the state of Florida. We will protect the right of our kids to attend school in person. And Governor DeSantis did not give a timeline for when he'll be issuing that executive order. In Cape Coral, Rob Manch, Fox 4. And some school districts said they weren't, they were not, they were going to violate that. They wanted to stick with their mandates. This is the height of the pandemic. And DeSantis sued these school districts. He was going to shut down entire school districts if necessary because they wouldn't follow his orders. Wow. And he has issued other executive orders, his order on uh, abortion, with uh, no exceptions after 15 weeks. This violates the Florida state constitution. And we have officials, elected officials in this state, not all of them, but a lot of them on school boards, but other ones whom he has suspended and fired because they said this is in the Florida state constitution. And you cannot viol- you cannot unilaterally violate the state constitution. And Governor DeSantis is, is essentially said, well, you can't you can't have power in my state if that's what you're going to say. And uh, he's 
That's the kind of guy Governor DeSantis is. He's issuing unilateral orders to violate the Constitution. This is the kind of thing Trump was or Trump was taking us. Yeah, but can you imagine him giving him the power of the presidency, DeSantis? He is such a mean-spirited person. And when you talk about the kind of hate there is in this country. The only worn-out old donkey I'm looking to put out to pasture is Charlie Crist. Yeah, well, Ron, we know you love to bully people, and the little name-calling you just exchanged, I can take it, but you shouldn't do it when children are standing behind you at a press conference and they're wearing a mask and giving hell. But apparently that's your nature, and that's too bad. It's impossible to deal with somebody like this. This is what, this is what generates the left-wing energy we have in this country. And personally, when you see people like DeSantis, I think that energy needs to grow. I think that Bernie Sanders is a brilliant man and a good man. He's very smart. I think he's done a lot of bipartisan work. I do not want to criticize Bernie Sanders, but a lot of his supporters, yes, because a lot of them did not support Hillary Clinton. And uh, those who did not uh, really should not be complaining that abortion, that Roe v. Wade has been overthrown because Hillary Clinton would have, is the last person who would have allowed that to happen. I mean, that's a direct line, Rob. It's a direct line. If Hillary Clinton wins that election, 2016, Roe v. Wade. Is there. Yeah, that's a direct line. That's it. A direct line. That's but it. you make a good point that you can't, you can't then extend that line to Bernie Sanders' candidacy because Bernie Sanders is a, is, is a, a very far-left progressive, but he believes... I mean, he, look at his entire history. He, he believes what he stands for. He's consistent over all the year. He was one he of the only- He knows what people. he's talking about, too. He yeah, knows exactly. what he's talking about. Exactly. One of the only people that was against the Iraq war. But you're right to place the blame on his supporters, a, fr- a faction of his supporters, not all of them. Burner busters. That's what a- is that? What is that in, the, in that- in that segment of the left that, I mean, honestly, that leads, I mean, this is really true. People are going to be pissed that I say this, but this is true. What is it in that segment of the left that leads to Roe v. Wade being overturned? Because that's a direct line. If those people show up and vote for, I know, Hillary Clinton, Roe v. Wade's in place. There's not a wall on the southern border. There's not a Muslim ban. We have got to defeat Donald Trump. And we have got to elect Hillary Clinton and Tim Kaine. Trump has made 
bigotry and hatred the cornerstone of his campaign. Let's pick up on another issue which divides you and the justices that whoever ends up winning this election appoints could have a dramatic effect that there, and that's the issue of abortion. Mr. Trump, you're pro-life, but I, I want to ask you specifically, do you want the court, including the justices that you will name, to overturn Roe v. Wade, which includes, in fact states, a woman's right to abortion? Well, if that would happen, because I am pro-life and I will be appointing pro-life judges, I would think that that will go back to the individual states. But I'm asking you specifically, would you if like... If they overturned it, it'll go back to the states. But what I'm asking you, sir, is do you want to see the court overturn? You just said you want to see the court protect the Second Amendment. Do you want to see the court overturn Roe Well, if we put another two or perhaps three justices on, that's really what's going to be... That's will happen. And that'll happen automatically, in my opinion, because I am putting pro-life justices on the court. I will say this, it will go back to the states, and the states will then make a determination. Secretary Clinton. Well, I, I strongly support Roe v. Wade, which guarantees a constitutional right to a woman to make the most intimate, most difficult, in many cases, decisions about her health care that uh, one can imagine. And in this case, it's not only about Roe v. Wade. It is about what's happening right now in America. So many states are putting very stringent regulations on women that block them from exercising that choice to the extent that they are defunding Planned Parenthood, which of course provides all kinds of cancer screenings and other benefits for uh, women in our country. Donald has said he's in favor of defunding Planned Parenthood. He even supported shutting the government down to defund Planned Parenthood. I will defend Planned Parenthood. I will defend Roe v. Wade, and I will defend women's rights to make their own health care decisions. And we have come too far to have that turn back now. And in, indeed, he said women should be punished, that there should be some form of punishment uh, for women uh, who obtain abortions. And I could just not be more opposed to that kind of thinking. Thank you. I grew up in that kind of a family, unfortunately. I think that my mother, if she had still been alive, would have voted for Hillary Clinton. But I don't think my father ever would have. And my mother would never have voted for Hillary Clinton in a primary against Bernie Sanders. Uh, so I grew up in that family. I know that thinking. Uh, and the idea is what I said before, that structural institutionalized capitalism is something that is essentially the cause of all the tensions and all the injustice in American society. This is the position held by the left, and they can make a very, very credible case for that. The problem is that it's not that I'm saying I love capitalism, it's that I'm saying it's not going away. 
And what the corporate structure that these people want to destroy is not going away. So if you say you're giving out and we have to accommodate, even when Hillary Clinton talked to people on Wall Street, that's how she's talking to them. You know, she said, you know, we got into this mess together. We got to get out of this mess together. That's what she was saying on Wall Street. Yeah, she was getting a lot of money for that. But she was saying, we all have responsibility here. You screwed up, we screwed up. All right, now we got to work together and fix this thing. Because it's only the government and it's only the public and private sector finding a way to work as partners, uh, government and business working together, uh, but not working together as adversaries of the rest of the population population because we are the population. This is where everybody's employed, either by the state or in the private sector. You know, so people essentially we all have to work together. And the people who have power, who make the rules and who set salaries and things like that, I mean, people have to be working in tandem somehow. And the people of the country don't have to like it necessarily because it's never going to be fair to everybody. But we somehow have to accommodate that we live with one another. And we somehow uh, have to accommodate that we live in a structure that is that is imperfect, but find something better, or even if that were possible, which it might be in a different society, uh, create something better out of what we have. And I just don't know how we radically transform our society so much to put it on the level of the kind of democratic socialism that Bernie Sanders would like. But I do think that we should push towards that direction as much as we can. And I think that people like Bernie were a long time coming. He brought issues into the national dialogue that were not part of the national dialogue, such as the top 1% that I mentioned. Right, yeah. I mean, the whole concept of that was Bernie brought that about. Well. Or I mean, brought it into the. He brought it as a national conversation. Yeah. A lot of people under the radar have been saying this, of course, forever. Right, um, right, right. I'd like to say a little bit more about Charlie Crist. Good evening. Thank you. What an incredible night. Optimism is in the air. And what an honor to be here with you to stand with President Barack Obama. President Barack Obama. President Barack Obama. Half a century ago, Ronald Reagan, the man whose optimism was inspiring to me to enter politics, he famously said at one time that he did not leave the Democratic Party, but the party left him. Well, listen, I can relate. I didn't leave the Republican Party, it left me. Then again, my friend Jeb Bush recently noted Reagan himself would have been too moderate, too reasonable for today's GOP. There are common sense solutions within our reach. If we only have leaders who are willing and enthusiastic to find common ground. No political party has a monopoly on that kind of leadership. But as a former lifelong Republican, it pains me to tell you that today's Republicans and their standard bearers, Mitt Romney and Paul Ryan, just aren't up to the task. Mitt Romney and Paul Ryan. 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 They're beholden to the my way or the highway bullies, indebted to billionaires who bankroll their ads, 
and allergic to the very idea of compromise. Ronald Reagan would not have stood for that. Barack Obama does not stand for that. You and I will not stand for that. I love the Republican Party. I love the Republican Party. I'll be honest with you. I don't agree with President Obama about everything, but I've gotten to know him. And I've worked with him. And the choice is crystal clear. I see a leader with a cool head, a caring heart, and an open mind. A president who has demonstrated through his demeanor, his grace, and his deeds that he is uniquely qualified to heal our divisions, rebuild our nation, and lead us to a brighter future. That's the leader Florida needs. That's the leader America needs. That's the reason I'm here tonight. Not as a Republican, not as a Democrat, simply as an American who understands that we must come together behind the one man who can lead the way forward in these challenging times. My president, your president, Barack Obama. God bless you and God bless America. Thank you so much. When I saw what was happening with the Republican Party, uh, Jeb Bush said it better than anybody could say it. He said, said it better than I could. They're perceived now as being anti-women, anti-immigrant, anti-minority, uh, anti-gay, anti-education, anti-environment. Um, you know, I just wasn't comfortable uh, and being honest with myself. But that, my that's not why you I left the Republican there. Party. Yes, right? it is. Yes, it is. Well, I mean, you, you left the Republican Party because you were going to lose to Marco Rubio. No, I left the Republican Party because the Republican leadership went off the cliff. I mean, they're so hard right now, they won't cooperate with the president on anything. Uh, I mean, it, it's very disappointing and very discouraging. No, but, but, the, but I'm an optimist. It's going to get better. I understand, but the moment in which you decided just to leave the Republican Party was because you were going to lose to Marco Rubio. No, no it, it was, was because, because I couldn't be consistent, consistent with, with myself and, and my core beliefs and, and stay with a party that was so unfriendly toward the African-American president. I'll just go there. Uh, you know, uh, you know I, because I was a Republican, Republican and, and I, I saw the activists and what they were doing, doing uh, it, it was, was intolerable to me. What did you think of that? I think it's ridiculous and silly. Uh, two points I would make. I, first of all, I'm even cautious to even dignify that with a serious response. My prediction is that by the end of this election, even Democrats will be embarrassed that Charlie Crist became a Democrat. But I would say if this was in fact how he felt at the time, why didn't he say it? Why didn't he say, I'm not running as a Republican because I think the Republican Party has become what he accuses it of becoming? And why didn't he switch to Democrat? Why did he run as an independent? Uh, why didn't he do that at the time? Why did it take him four years to say what he's saying? It's just not a serious thing. That's my second. I've never met a single Republican activist involved in my campaign that has ever, in my opinion, ever been motivated by race uh, to, to, to state their objections. I think it's absurd and, quite frankly, it's, it's barely worthy of any sort of response. But because he's running for governor of my state, I, I guess I, I need to say what I said. You think he's a phony? Absolutely. I believe that during the campaign. It's one of the reasons why I ran for the U.S. Senate. I didn't want my next U.S. Senator to be someone like that who wouldn't uh, just be trustworthy in moments of importance to the country, but who would embarrass us by saying these sorts of ridiculous things. Well, if he's a phony, uh, he leads in the polls. It's still early. Uh, what do no, you think of that? He led in the polls against me, too. Very I good was point. a 3% Very point. at one point. So. All right, we want to take you straight to St. Petersburg, where our, our Governor Charlie Crist uh, is about to announce... Uh, his concession speech here, a big hot race for the U.S. Senate. Let's Thank listen you. in, Governor Charlie Crist. Thank you so much. 
Mom and Dad and Carol, Margaret, Daryl, Rusan. Listen, I, I just, uh, first and foremost, I want to thank you, and I want to let you know I called uh, Senator-elect Rubio, and I wished him well. Uh, God bless him and his family. I know that he will serve our state well, and I congratulate him on his great victory tonight, and we all should, too. Congratulations, Senator. I also want you to know from the bottom of my heart, it has been the greatest honor of my public life to serve as your governor. So I think once people start to focus in on there's a race and they realize it's the same Charlie Chris that's running, that is actually the same guy who's been basically on every side of every single issue uh, before the country and the state, I, I think those numbers are going to change dramatically. Live from Jacksonville, Florida, this is Debate Night. We want to welcome viewers from around the Sunshine State and around the country. I'm Jake Tapper from CNN's The Lead. Tonight I'll have questions for incumbent Governor Rick Scott and for former Governor Charlie Crist. I am joined tonight by WJXT anchor Pence Justice. We'll also be asking questions directly from Floridians via social media. And you can join this debate in real time. Go to bing.com slash CNN to vote on which candidate's answers you find the most or the least convincing. Each governor will have one minute to respond to our questions and 30 seconds for rebuttal. I'll allow for conversation between the candidates. I will also try to press for questions to be answered. Gentlemen, welcome to you both. Everybody's comfortable here? Thank you. Yes. Everybody's comfortable. Okay, good. Uh, let's start with you, Governor Scott, and an issue that's on the mind of every governor around the country and millions of Americans, Ebola. 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 Well, as... Uh... As you probably just heard, I, I called Governor Scott and I congratulated him, and I wish him, I wish him the best. Well, when the gap got to 100,000, we figured it was uh, time to do the right thing, and so uh, that's what we need to do, and we need to come together. We really do. Uh, losing is not fun. I can tell you if you want me to talk about how I see the campaign or what. Yeah, do that. Let's 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 get the vote out for Charlie Chris. Tell me tell me where we are and tell me how you're feeling. Well, losing is not fun. Losing is not. We fun. are still certainly behind. Although the Chris campaign issues polls and says our latest listener group tells us we're six percent ahead. I la you know, when they come from the Chris campaign, I laugh at it and I say, oh, amongst Chris supporters, Chris is ahead by six <laughs> percent. Uh, but. Uh, that's great. I like that. <laughs> the uh, the media, there's just a narrative. That's, this is what I was talking to you about. There's a narrative that's been written into this campaign before it began. And that was that Charlie's a flip-flopper, that Democrats cannot, which is such a lie, but Democrats cannot win in Florida, um, which is not necessarily true. Uh, but certainly that the money and the organization is on the side of the Republicans. So I can see being part of the Chris campaign that we're just getting our act together, really working with people in these last three weeks of the campaign. And of course, uh, the Democratic primary in Florida was in the middle of August. And, you know, you can't or at the end of August. And that gives us a very short time to, to run a statewide campaign. And uh, Charlie Chris is a very strange figure in Florida. People like me who followed him closely and now who know him personally and have that sense of him that I'm talking about. And believe me, everybody who knows him has seen this. And the national press has such a cynical way of describing this characteristic of Charlie, but he can touch people and he means it. And I read a story about him that said he's the great schmoozer. 
And every he see every he says you talk you interview him and every five seconds somebody goes by and Charlie talks to him and it's as if the two of them are old friends, and and good old friends and you know they walk off and he's probably never going to see them again, and Charlie really does care about everybody that he meets and he hear he wants to listen to their story. He said his parent his father always told him and he says God made you with one mouth and two ears so use them in that proportion every every event i was at with him you know a small fundraising event he would say that and he would walk around the room and listen to everybody ron if you want to run for president do it but don't make us pay your DeSantis tax this new ad comes to us from former governor and former republican charlie christ who now serves as a democrat in congress for his hometown district in saint pete let's get the facts on his commercial DeSantis wants to run for president, and he's whipping up his base by attacking Disney. First, it claims Governor Ron DeSantis wants to run for president. We'll call that spin for now because DeSantis is running for re-election as governor and has not announced he would run for the White House in two years. Is DeSantis attacking Disney? Oh, oh you, you bet he is. That's a solid fact. And most likely over Disney's decision to oppose the parental rights and education law dubbed by critics the Don't Say Gay Law. Don't Say Gay Law. Republican lawmakers voted last month to dismantle Disney's self-government, the Reedy Creek Improvement District, by June of next year. Under that government, Disney pays for fire and other public safety, roads, water, sewer, and power. He doesn't care that Disney brings thousands of tourists to Florida or that his bill would cost taxpayers millions. Would dissolving Disney's government cost taxpayers millions? That's a fact, at least according to Orange County's tax collector who says this in the Christ commercial. Orange County would have to raise property taxes 15 to 20 percent. While it's true he said property taxes would go up, the lack of context in the tax collector's statement in the ad make it misleading. Here's why. Disney makes annual payments to the Reedy Creek Improvement District, $105 million for operations and $58 million for debt on bonds used to expand and maintain the property. That's $163 million a year that would be dumped on taxpayers. But it would only affect a portion of your tax bill, the section for general county taxes, not schools, city, or any other taxes. A person owning a median-priced home in Orange County would pay $156 to $208 a year more if Disney's government is dismantled. The bottom line to this new Charlie Crist ad is that it doesn't have very many facts, and that's because local governments like Orange and Osceola counties haven't had a chance to sit down with Disney and realize the full impact on taxpayers from dissolving Reedy Creek. In Orlando, Greg Fox, Washington 2 News. Chris teamed up with Biden to hire 87,000 new IRS agents to audit the middle class. A new political ad taking aim at Democratic candidate for governor Charlie Crist is raising a lot of eyebrows. Some viewers have messaged us saying the ad is pushing misleading or false information. So tonight, NBC2 chief political correspondent Dave Elias finds out who's behind the ad, and he's putting it to the truth test. Well, the Republican Party of Florida is behind the ad. They're spending millions statewide, and here in the Fort Myers Naples market alone, they've spent more than $217,000. But are all of the claims in the ad true? Charlie Chris thinks Joe Biden is the best president of his lifetime. The ad sources the USA Today for that claim. Just this past week, though, Chris said this to CNN about President Biden. I mean, what other president could have done what he's done? 
He's been phenomenal. However, the ad continues. Chris teamed up with Biden to hire 87,000 new IRS agents to audit the middle class. Chris did support the Inflation Reduction Act. However, it does not call for auditing the middle class. It does, though, call for hiring 87,000 new workers by 2031. According to the Treasury Department, most would not be new agents, but rather a wide range of positions. The IRS says that more than half of its employees are eligible for retirement. NBC2 obtained this letter from the Department of Treasury to the Senate saying, quote, These resources are absolutely not about increasing audit scrutiny on small businesses or middle-income Americans. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen stressed in this letter that small businesses or households earning $400,000 a year or less will not see an increase in their chances that they are audited. The IRS in this chart says that those earning a half a million dollars or less are well below a 1% chance of ever being audited. Chris even supported Biden's agenda to defund the police. The Fraternal Order of Police, which represents police officers, disagrees, saying in this March news release that Biden delivered on his commitment to increase funding to state and local law enforcement. So after reviewing all of the facts, we are going to rate this 30-second ad as mostly false. Mostly false. Mostly false. Mostly false. Live in the studio, Dave Elias, NBC2. Ladies and gentlemen, Governor Ron DeSantis. He saved our jobs. And kept us going. They tried to shut us down, but you saved our business. $1,000 bonuses. You had our backs. And honored our service. You led by facts, not fear. And you let us decide. You let me go to school. You gave me a voice. You put us first. And didn't let them keep us apart. You let us learn. You let us compete. All of us. You protected our right to worship together in person. And you raised our pay. You protected our waters. And kept Florida beautiful. When they attacked you, you didn't cave. You stood strong for Florida. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Governor. Gracias, Governor DeSantis. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Governor DeSantis. When you need our support, we're always there. We don't expect special treatment, only fairness, freedom, control, not determined by some politician. Florida, it's time we take back control of our future, raise our voices, and say no to the attacks on our reproductive freedoms by Ron DeSantis. It won't stop with Ron's new ban. DeSantis wants to expand further restrictions. The ultimate goal, a total ban, no exceptions. We can choose a better way, where we are empowered. It's a war on women. I don't know how else to put it. Supported. The first day, I will sign an executive order that we protect a woman's right to choose in the Sunshine State. And given full control of our future. So that women will have somebody in the governor's office that gives a damn about them. This November, let's join together and make our voices heard. I get asked all the time, who is Ron DeSantis? Well, he's the kid who grew up right here in Florida, working his tail off, paying his own way through school, then volunteering to serve in the Navy and deploying to Iraq. He's the man who I fell in love with from the moment we met. 
and he's the dad of three very rambunctious, energetic children. Mamie, our two-year-old little comedian, Madison, our beautiful, sweet five-year-old, and Mason, our four-year-old athlete. But if you want to know who Ron DeSantis really is, when I was diagnosed with cancer and I was facing the battle for my life, he was the dad who took care of my children when I couldn't. He was there to pick me off of the ground when I literally could not stand. He was there to fight for me when I didn't have the strength to fight for myself. That is who Ron DeSantis is. When I became governor, Florida had the most liberal state Supreme Court in the country. I've replaced three liberal justices with conservative justices. We now have the most conservative Supreme Court in the country. Since I became governor, we've banned sanctuary cities in the state of Florida. And we are in the process of getting money from the legislature so that if Biden is dumping illegal aliens into Florida from the southern border, I'm rerouting them to Delaware. We'll do some in D.C. and Hollywood as well. We in Florida were one of the first states to stand up and protect women's athletics. We're not going to let our young girls and our women athletes have opportunities denied for them because of ideology and political correctness. We were the first big state to legislate against big tech censorship because they want to silence us, they want to deplatform us, and we cannot have a free society if most of the speech in this country is controlled by a handful of left-wing oligarchs in Silicon Valley. We are a law and order state in the state of Florida. We reject weak on crime policies. We reject Soros-funded prosecutors. And we have said, after the 2020 summer riots, we called up the National Guard here immediately. We had law enforcement. We said we are not letting Florida cities burn down, and we didn't. But we've also since then signed the strongest anti-rioting legislation in the country, which says we will not let local governments defund the men and women of law enforcement and put their citizens at risk. And if you riot in the state of Florida, if you loot, if you are engaged in mob violence, this is not going to be like Portland, where they arrest you, take your mugshot, slap you on the wrist, and put you right back on the street to do it again. No, in Florida, you're not getting a slap on the wrist. You are getting the inside of a jail cell. Because we will not spend taxpayer money to teach our kids to hate our country or to hate each other, we have banned CRT in K-12 education. And instead, we have the most robust civics education anywhere in the country. We're going to have citizenship exams for graduating seniors, and we're giving teachers the opportunity to go through a civics boot camp and get a $3,000 bonus. Yes, we're against CRT, but what are we for? I'm for the Constitution. I'm for the Bill of Rights. And we need to have our young people understand what that means. Whether you work in a factory, an office, or fixing cars, Ron DeSantis is making it harder to get by. He hiked sales taxes a billion and said skyrocketing insurance costs weren't his problem. Well, they're a problem for you. DeSantis won't fix it. I will. Democratic nominee Charlie Crist did not waste much time getting out his first political ad. And in that commercial, he says Governor DeSantis does not represent Florida. ABC Action News reporter Eric Wexler has more on why Chris says he can win the race for governor. You are pushing false narratives. About half of Charlie Crist's first TV ad for the general election goes after Governor Ron DeSantis. 
He says he's all about freedom, but only if you do what he says. Chris celebrated a convincing win in the primary last night. Then this morning, he was back at criticizing DeSantis for his policies and possible political aspirations. His blind ambition for the presidency of the United States of America has taken his eye off the ball of this most beautiful state in the country, this most beautiful place to live in the world. Among the major issues Chris says he will tackle when he becomes governor, the out-of-control home insurance rates in Florida, and he says he doesn't care what it means for the insurance companies. They've been bilking you, bilking you, bilking you, just like Florida Power and Light has been screwing you. Enough. It stops now. Republican voters in Florida outnumber Democrats by more than 200,000. Chris says he will overcome the odds. There's going to be a poll, I'm sure, come out this week, and I'll be ahead of him. Hell, I'm already neck and neck with this clown. Chris says he will soon pick a running mate. He also says he doesn't mind defending President Biden when attacks against him come. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is your governor speaking. Today's training evolution, dogfighting, taking on the corporate media. The rules of engagement are as follows. Number one, don't fire unless fired upon. But when they fire, you fire back with overwhelming force. Does it say that in the bill? I'm asking you to tell me what's in the bill. Number two, never ever back down from a fight. If I could complete the question though. So you're gonna give a speech or ask a question? Number three, don't accept their narrative. It's wrong, it's a fake narrative. I just disabused you of the narrative and you don't care about the facts. It's why people don't trust people like you because you peddle false narratives. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Let's turn up on When the recession crippled Florida, Barack Obama and Charlie Crist stood strong. Governor Crist shares my conviction that creating jobs and turning this economy around is a mission that transcends part. And that's what Charlie Crist is doing right here today. President Barack Obama. Thank you. Let me ask you one more question, because you said this you said this offhand when we were talking in Florida. You said something like, if you believe in the concept of this is one country, and sometimes I wonder about that. And I said, I wonder about that too. Maybe that's the way forward, is we break off into 10 different factions, and they can have their Christian nationalist state somewhere, and the Bernie bros can have their democratic socialist utopia on the coast of Oregon or something, or, or not? Well, you know, I'm not even, I don't, honestly, I don't even remember saying that. And yet I think it's very interesting that I did because it's an idea. I don't remember saying it, but it is an idea that has been starting to bloom inside me recently. Me too. And the reason this has happened you know, I spent much, I spent the 2005, 2006 academic year teaching uh, in China at a university. And so I listened to the debates between Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders while I was in China. And um, I heard Bernie Sanders talking about how our jobs are being lost to China, that the Chinese are taking our jobs. Trump said the same thing. Hillary Clinton did not. And this is where I say the angry whites were with Trump, the angry whites were with Bernie. 
and uh, the moderate whites and the non-whites were with Hillary. This is kind of how I see the coalition shaping up in, in this country. This is the kind of thing that made me argue with Bernie Sanders. I, see, I said, I see these Chinese people every day. They're my students. I see Chinese workers on the streets of past the shops. And I made, made lots of wonderful friends here in China. And uh, I really, I'll tell you, if there's anything that alienated me from the left at that time, I would say it was China. Because I was, I had fallen in love with that country, and I still have very good friends there. Uh, and I did go back a few times. I had hopes of going back again, which is not going to happen. But the point I want to make about all of this is that I have changed. It was the idea I went along. This the Chinese talk about American hegemony, which is why they were reluctant to oppose Putin in Ukraine. But now they realize they have to oppose you, uh, Putin. But all of that I still believed, and my far left upbringing contributed to that. Now, I had a, my closest friend in China, who I've made since then, is in Shanghai. And she was living there during their lockdown earlier this year. And that was the most awful experience I can imagine. The things she told me, and she told me that 90% of the stuff I can't tell you. It's just too difficult to even talk about. But this was about how other people in the building treated her. But she did say the Shanghai government you know, COVID testing, they went crazy on it and limiting people's movements. And before this had happened, she and I would talk to her about how sympathetic I was for China. And I really love China. But because of the experience my friend had, and she, you know, she was very supportive of China also for what she knew about it. But uh, she's become very embittered. And she's she has described for me uh, how this zero uh, COVID policy has affected China, which is interesting because China at first I thought uh, was rather ingenious in how well it handled the, the breakout when it first happened. And I do believe there's been a lot of misinformation about Chinese uh, nefarious creation of a disease, which the, certainly the Chinese government would not do. But anyway, I now no longer feel this love for China, which is very tragic. I have to come to terms with this now. But I have said, you know, I, I love China because of what the people are there, what I experienced there, and uh, the people that I met and what they told me. But then... You know, I would not be persuaded by American propaganda. I will not, because I know so much. I do. I'm still with the left on those kinds of things. But anyway, I reached the point as the conclusion is that I now believe that uh, as much as I don't like what America does in so many ways, I don't know that there's a better place. And whether or not there is a better place, uh, I'm not getting out of here. So I, you know, I need to realize that I need to believe in the place where I live. And I just hope that we can, by improving the harmonies between our multicultural population, if we can do something about this racism and this uh, white, Christ, this Christian nationalism in this country, this white Christian nationalism in this country, then I do think that we can at least set an example that will begin to let us deal with the rest of the world. But we have world capitalism economic issues that are in place there as well. I believe that well. being critical is patriotic. I believe that's how we form a more perfect union, is looking at the mistakes. And that's one part of the danger of not looking at history, about ignoring slavery how are you ever going to heal and recover and grow if you just fail to acknowledge your shortcomings? Well, you know, there's so many things even around slavery. Well, you know, we should teach the fact that Benjamin Franklin said, if we don't, if we keep slavery in the new constitution, even if we abolish it, we'll never get rid of racism. I mean, Benjamin Franklin knew that. 
And these are the kinds of things we should not only teach slavery, but we should teach the fact that it was never universally endorsed by the founding fathers, white Christian or capitalist as they were. But we can teach slavery, but we can teach the movements to abolish slavery. I mean, we teach everything in a context. America's had horrible things, and we and we have worked very hard to overcome them. And we should teach our successes as well as all our failures. But we have done a great deal. I, You know, when I was a kid, I felt there were three things I would never see in America. And frankly, we have seen all three. One, a black president... Two, the legalization of same-sex marriage. Three, the legalization of marijuana. If you had talked to me when I was 12, or even when I was 20, I would have said, never in America. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think we can teach lots of things. We should teach how about Thurgood Marshall and his life story, which not enough people are aware of. But as we teach about Clarence Thomas, you know, all of this has to be done in a context, there's the good and the bad, and you can only hope that through thesis and you know, thesis and antithesis, you get some kind of synthesis, and then you go on. You have to believe in trying to reconcile things that may not be reconcilable, but at least improve them. I love that thesis is an antithesis, and then you go on. Oh, and synthesis. This is dialectics. This is Hegelian dialectics and adopted by Marx and been oh, used no, by it's adopted by it's Marxist. This is leftist Marxism. Well, it's also very right wing stuff the way uh, some followers of Hegel have taken. I don't know that anybody's ever done dialectics uh, in the right way, <laughs> but uh, I mean, this is what we all try to do. What we have to do. We take the good and the bad and we deal with it. We, we take, take the good and the bad and we deal with it. We take the good and the bad and we deal with it. Exactly, man. It's Oh God, Rob, I love talking to you. I'm going to let you go. Because you got campaign work to do. Thank you, John. I love talking to you, man. We could go on and on and on. Have a good day. I wish you would. You give me a reason to stay alive. Thank you. Oh, come on. Hey, hey, that's not. Hey, you you don't know what I'm dealing with, but that's okay. That's okay. Thank you. you Let me, maybe on some level I do, because I have said things like that before in the past, and I'll just tell you. I'm I'm facing economic ruin, financial ruin. And I can't avoid it. Um, But I have a few years to prepare. Well, that conversation will continue, too. Yeah, okay. I don't want your listeners to have to deal with that. (laughs) Okay. Well, no, but you know what? That's real. I mean, you're not the only one that's facing something like that. Well, everybody who lives in my condo is facing that because we've all been priced out of our places. Yeah. So wait. So seriously, Rob, do you know how this is an issue in the state of Florida? Actually, oh, it's an issue in the in the United States housing in in San Francisco. This Are is this is a condo assessment. This place I inherited. It's been cheap. It's made everything possible for me. I should have easily been able to spend the rest of my life here, but we've had a huge uh, assessment. Uh, we failed a fifty-year building inspection with the city, and they're going to hit us with an, uh, an assessment that's going to eat up my savings. And then they're going to raise the maintenance so high that I won't be able to live on it. Plus, I just found out two days ago that my pension is not for life, but runs out in four years. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I'm pretty well sunk. I was sca- I inherited a lot of money from my mother. I wasted a lot of it during the pandemic. And when I had a, a pinched nerve and 
then I lost what was left of it in a crypto scam. So it doesn't sound like you wasted if you had health issues. No, no, I, I, I wasn't cooking any food and I was just ordering out meals all the time and that ate up so much money. Well, you know what? One thing we've learned from politics is you can come back from what you think is the dead. The Charlie Chris campaign has been as big a friend as any because uh, I got a complete refund of my campaign donations, which was actually over $10,000. I was also giving a lot of money to a lot of people who I care about. That I don't regret. I was a real philanthropist. And, uh, And they also hired me. Uh, so they did, they've done everything they can to help me. So I'm grateful for that. Just keep going, man. You never know it's around the corner. You never know. I need a miracle in the next five years. They happen. Five years is forever. Are you kidding? Do you know how many miracles are possible in the next five years? Uh, this has to be a big, big financial miracle. Totally possible. Or I meet somebody who will take me in to live with them for the rest of my life who will be, take care of me. Also if totally is, possible. If there is such a person. Or you get paid work on campaigns because you are incredibly talented at it, Rob. You're really good at it. Well, I'm good at it if I do this kind of thing. Uh, some of the things that they asked me to do, well, I don't know. I'm not a tech-savvy person, and you have to be. Yeah, but that doesn't matter. That's the last thing we need. We need people going out, talking to people in the real world, outside cafes. That's what we need. I don't get out enough. <laughs> <laughs> Can't afford it. And I'm naturally shy. I love meeting people like you. This is why I'm a musician. You know, I get out of my shell and if I perform for people or when I'm teaching and I'm performing, you know, yeah, performing in an interview, I'm good at that. It's all about connecting with one person at a time, man. That's just how it's always been done. That's it. Yeah, I got a lot of work to do. All right, Rob. Thank you. Have a great day. All right, John. Thank you so much. Thank you. you. Thank you. Bye-bye.